You're listening to Transplaner RPG, an all-transgender, people-of-color-led, dark-fantasy actual play channel set in an original non-colonial, anti-orientalist multiverse. The Chaos Protocol is our second main campaign and stars Valiant Dorian, Kai Kay, and Sam Starr as players, with C. Thomas as the producer and Connie Chong as the game master. Transplaner RPG is sponsored by Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy whose director, Dimitri Opines, has asked us to say, and I quote, Please sign up for Transplaner's Patreon, because at some point people will figure out he's a cisgender white guy failing upward, and then he'll be too broke to sponsor us. We love you, Dimitri, and thank you so much for supporting our work. Content warnings for this episode include war, complex and complicated relationships, body horror, trauma, Nightmares, pollution, environmental collapse, fire, immolation, and flirting. Arc 1, Episode 11. A Scion Sworn. From Self-Eulogy of a Martyr by Connie Chong. Sahem Kubra is famed for their skill with the blade, the powder, the bow. They are a peerless navigator, the legendary pilot who led an entire fleet of Ryan ships out of a sudden spore cloud amidst a minefield of sailing stones with no casualties. They are undefeated at Senat Nihab. They are charming, precise, honest, reliable, friendly, and an excellent conversational partner. For these reasons and many more, Sahem Kubra rose through the ranks of the Ryan Navy at a young age, captaining their first ship at 20, becoming Commodore at 24, Rear Admiral at 30, Vice Admiral at 34, and Admiral at 39, after the much-deserved retirement of their previous commander. Now, Sahem is 43, a thorn's jab from half a decade as Admiral. They have supported the rulers of Raya for more than three decades as a dedicated wild sailor, but it never gets less awkward when the rulers argue. King Zumarud Jadir paces in front of the throne, his half-pleated sash worrying at his shins. Their face, usually so expressive and kind, is narrow with worry. Anxious strands of black hair shelter Zumarud's storm-gray eyes flowing down his back in twin braids adorned with golden cuffs. Beside King Jadir, Queen Amin Aliakut stands at attention, straight-backed, focused, her thick eyebrows drawn together in that familiar hawk-like way. Amin has bantu knots and skin darker than both her husbands, radiant in the evening light that filters through this open-air chamber. Finally, towering over both his spouses, sitting like a coiled fist upon a throne made of cedar wood and ebony and inlaid with so many precious gems, is King Maswu Zahar. He is the descendant of strength, the scion of body and the power of the skies. Built like an iron jaw ray, Maswu is a barrel-chested, handsome, muscular man with long, dark hair that rests atop a sturdy chest. He wears the same woven sash as his husband, though he also sports the feathered scales of a maned drake around his shoulders with a set of gauntlets topped by harpy claws. 
His robes are patterned with rays of the sun. Maswu's daughter's beloved pet, Triforodon, Squall, hunches in a corner watching the argument play out with the same trepidation as Sahim himself. The Triforodon is coming up on a decade old now, his feathers starting to gray around a sharpened beak. He tucks his wings against a lion-like body, tufted tail swishing from side to side as an eagle-like head regards the burgeoning argument. Zumarud holds his palms out to entreat his husband. My evening star, there is still time for Siren Song to respond to our missives. Kidnappers always have demands. Let us wait until they demand. There is no reason for this foolhardy decision. Maswu presses two fingers to his temple. No. Amin steps forward, raises her chin. Zumarud and I may not sit upon the ebony throne, but the three of us have always reached agreements together. We want to compromise with you, but we cannot if you won't even give us a single inch. Maswu turns to face his wife. His brown eyes are dark, darker than Sahim has ever seen them. You are right, Amin. You and Zumarud don't sit upon the throne. I do. I am the descendant of strength. I am the leader of the Raya. I am the protector of our people. War is the only answer. Amin exhales sharply, shakes her head. What has gotten into you, Maswu? You're not acting like yourself. Enough. Maswu waves his hand dismissively. Every day, the calamities weaken the reaches. The verdancy demands a show of strength, a show of power. That is how we will save our people, save the entire Wild Sea. Sumarud shakes his head. No, my gemstone. War hasn't darkened the waves since the leaves first rose. There are other ways to give the Wild Sea a show of strength. Our daughter's tournament was a failure. The Scion of Soul did not show. And now, Siren Song has taken our child. Must we wait for them to take our holdings as well? Our protectorates? Our territories? Our throne? No. No better to strike first. The ambushing pinwolf catches twice the prey as the pinwolf in wait. And why have we been waiting? We are the strongest of the three reaches. Our navy, our sky warriors, our impenetrable castle in the clouds. We should be the ones to rule not only the Raya, but Siren Song as well, and Chongsin Surge. Amin and Zumarud exchange a worried look. Amin steps forward, hands raised, her next words careful, very careful. Maswu. Darling, to declare war on Siren's song is to worsen the calamities that plague us, not alleviate them. Our path of strength has never been a path of conquest. That way lies ruin. Our path of strength. Our path? Our path? Amen. You forget yourself. I am the descendant of strength. I say what strength is. 
end of discussion. Admiral Kubra. Sahim straightens. For a second, they'd forgotten themselves as well. They snap their right palms to their heart. Yes, my king. Undock every ship in our harbor, skyships included, and start heading north. War is coming, Admiral. It's time for you to live up to your laurels. Sahim glances at the queen, at the other king. They look shocked and anxious, but what can they do? King Zahar sits upon the ebony throne, and his word is law. Sahim bows deeply at the waist, and they turn and they leave. As the royal doors close behind them, they cast a final look at the king they've supported for more than three decades. The king they always admired for his wisdom, his kindness. The king they've been proud to call more than just a ruler, but a friend. And the face they see is twisted with an utterly unfamiliar expression. One of bloodlust, one of hatred. His brown eyes are darker than Sahim has ever seen before, and just as the doors close, they see the darkness well in Masu's right eye and spill down his cheek like a droplet of oil. We see Sahim Kubra now, tall, four-armed, six-eyed, and powerful, as they stare through an amber-lensed pocket telescope fit for their three sets of eyes. We follow their gaze across the tops of the verdant sea, all swimming leaves and vegetation, until we find all of you. Storm Chaser bobs upon the verdant waves, hovering a couple dozen feet away from the strip-mined wound in the verdancy, and another couple thousand feet from the quickly approaching warships. As soon as the ships were spotted and the oracle revealed war, Abasi had sprinted for the bank of shutter lamps at the prow of Storm Chaser. Princess Sahar is now working the mirrors and lights, anxiously signaling for the approaching ships to stop. And Abasi calls over her shoulder at the four of you. I'm using a royal shorthand. Only our navy knows this dialect, so they'll know it's me, or at the very least, one of them. I'm telling them the princess is on this ship, she's safe, and they need to stop. I have to focus on this, but in the meantime, Sing steps forward. We'll make a plan. Abasi, take care of comms, and we'll figure out what to do once the ships arrive. Abasi nods fervently. She goes back to signaling while Sing turns to the three of you. She pulls your party to the side, next to the banged up breakfast table. And there is a look on her face that is familiar, reassuring, confidence, passion, direction. Whatever momentary lapse had shaken Singh in the aftermath of that nightmare is gone, fully, actually, truly gone, not just repressed, but dispersed by the winds of fate. Perhaps it was the conversation with Lumira, perhaps it was the talk with her brother, or perhaps it was seeing that strip-mined piece of the verdancy. Whatever it was, the fire has returned to Singh's pink eyes and it surges with nourishing strength. We need to talk about that dream. And now we pan to the three of you. How do you respond? Lumira stands up straight, but does not actually answer. Looks kind of forward, a bit lost. Sayer kind of creeps closer to his sibling. 
the distant, faraway look that he had before now focused and attentive upon her. Yeah, just tell us. Zynan sees the change in Sing and that echo of home and the true meaning of it stares back at him and he leans in closer, ready. All of this has to be connected. It has to be. My gut is telling me this. It's it's pulling at me. The dream, not just that, even back further, further, when we first arrived here, Sayer, and she turns to face her brother. The vision you had in that temple, all of this talk of the calamities, our dream, of course, about the oil serpent, the dragon, Amergen's disappearance, this war, even that captain's report, even all this mythology about the guides that's been surrounding us since we zapped into the Verdancy, all of this has to be related. I can feel it. I just don't know how. Not yet. I agree. I felt the pull since we got here. But what about war? Discretion is clearly out the window. <sighs> discretion, discretion. I think discretion should take a second seat to gathering information and figuring out what the threads of fate are trying to tell us. It feels like all the pieces are here. I just haven't assembled them in the right formation yet. Lumira, you're smart. You're the smartest person I know. What do you think? I agree. Something doesn't seem right and some things do seem connected. And that's kind of all she gives. She steps back a bit away from the group, distancing herself between her and Sayer. Doesn't add much else though. Lumira, I... Zainan. And Singh pivots immediately, not missing a beat, turns toward her mentor. What do you make of this? You know things about the natural world, don't you? You can feel the Verdancy calling out for help, can't you? Something... The planet... is hurting. I mean, that's what that serpent, dragon, leviathan... The dream aside, she placed us in the path of the Scion of the Raya. That is not a mistake. You're right. You're right. A bossy is related to this. I'm sure Amergen is as well. They were mentioning a third Scion. I'd be willing to bet anything they were involved in this as well somehow, but I don't know how yet. But they didn't show. What do you mean? There's two Scions that are missing. The one that was at the... Uh, fight, whatever that was, and the one that is still absent from Siren's song. We only can account for one Scion. Yes. We have one of them here. We don't know where Amergen is. And the third is presumably still at the Raya. Interestingly enough, uh, there, there's just a, there's a missing piece to all of this. And, and the, the gap, the missing of it is staring me straight in the face. It's taunting me. Is it this? Zynan pulls out a, that piece of shell dripping with oil, and it runs down his finger, the chitin plate still slick. Sing pauses, pink eyes fixed on that piece of chitin, reaches out, takes it gingerly, trying to like touch it between fingers so the oil doesn't get on her. But still, the oil continues to slough. It's like never ending, slick and just dripping. Oil. Ash. Flame. Oil. Ash. Flame. The three of you heard that phrase too, didn't you? Mm-hmm. 
Indeed. This is a world of verdancy. This is a world of vegetation and greenery. And fire here is not just dangerous, it's sacrilegious. And yet that oil serpent, it set everything ablaze and that... Was that a vision of the past? Or is it an omen of things to come? Or are the two things the same? Or is history repeating itself? At that point, Sayer hears the word omen. And as if falling backwards into a pool, he succumbs. Connie, I would like to use Guide My Hands. Yes. To figure out the truth behind. Not Guide My Hands, sorry. Search for omens to ask a question and receive an omen to interpret. Excellent. What is the question you're asking? Let's ask the question that my sister asked. Is the oil dragon to come or is it from the past? What does it look like as you sink into your own destruction? There's a blip of a moment where it looks like flame lights up behind Sears' striking blue eyes. And all anyone hears is this sharp inhale of a gasp. <gasps> and he just staggers backward and grips really tightly upon his own hands as Sayer is somewhere else now. Sayer, I'm gonna give you a devil's bargain. Oh, no. I can either give you something vague but safe or something very direct but very dangerous. Give me the danger, Connie. <laughs> I knew it! I knew it! Yes, those eyes of yours flicker blue like fire for a half second before your eyelids flutter and you sink into a vision? Is this a vision, Seer? You don't know if it's a vision or if it's a dream or an omen or if those three things are the same thing exactly. And when you open your eyes again, you are ensconced in shadow. There's nothing here around you but darkness and no, that's not quite right. It's not darkness, is it? It's oil. It's oil, just so much of it black and greasy, dripping down onto your head, onto your lips, down past your neck, onto your clavicle, spilling down through your clothes, down onto your boots, and it is threatening to drag you beneath the surface. It is trying to pull you down beneath the oil, beneath the grease, filling your mouth with it. And then you hear a voice. is the beginning. The beginning is the end. Look too deeply into the oil and the oil will pour forth through your veins. You know not of the power you tangle with, little omen. And Sayer, you erupt in flame. When you open your eyes, smoke is quivering up from your shoulders. It's drifting up like grease from a funeral pyre, up, up, up past your antlers adorned with all these different kinds of flowers. And Singh is looking at you wide-eyed, expecting the fire to lick up as well, but kind of preemptively stopping it. She rests a hand upon your shoulder. Sayer, what, are you okay? Stop, stop. Thayer holds onto 
Singh's arm and mutters in a hoarse voice, The end is the beginning. The beginning is the end. Stare too deeply into the oil. And I th- is Sing still holding the carapace? The chitin? Yes, yes, with one hand. I think Sayer in this fiery-fueled fear knocks it out of Sing's hand. Mm. And as the voice cracks, look too deeply in the carapace. Don't look at it! And knocks it away. Don't look at the oil, don't look at the oil! Can I stop my own blaze right now? You can, you can, but it hurts, it hurts. As you're like desperately like trying to gather your wits, prevent the fire from leaping up out of you just like it had <laughs> at the gate of Mylesia's palace, you are going to take three points on tracks of your choice. Mark three as you're like stifling it, right? This thing wants out your destruction, your panic, your anger, your fear, your fear, your fear, Sayer. It wants out. It wants to leap off of your body, destroy it all, destroy everything that's threatening you. But you're tamping it down. It is like trying to stop a flood with just your hand in it. Hurts, but you do it. Mark three. (laughs) Sayer ducks around the corner, just like, Curls up in his own body as he stops his own blaze. <laughs> Enough. Patience. 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 And he gets up finally and whirls around to see his compatriots and sees the smoke licking off of his own skin. Zynan is already taking a step forward despite the fear on his face seeing Singh reach out to their sibling and he pulls the heavy layer off of the top and is actually holding it out trying to help Seer extinguish the flame trying to smother the fire and it's warm but it you can feel that it is tightly woven for this intent Lumera does not look scared. She looks tired. And she wordlessly walks over to Seir and reaches into her cloak and pulls out her jar of her polstice. Begins just, does not acknowledge Seir, does not speak to him, does not make eye contact, but goes through the motions of starting to heal him. Connie, I'm going to use ceaseless tending, Mm. which will allow me to use a task to uh, heal an injury or a companion. Sure, yes. I can do up to three at a time, so. Yes, okay, yeah, I'll, yeah. Sure, yes, I'll allow that, for sure. Uh, as you, you're gonna have to take the entire rest of this discussion just tending to say here, though. You can still talk, you're gonna have to just Mm -hmm. like, you know, use the salve, wrap up, you know, his smoking shoulders, tend to whatever's happening with his soul. Yeah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Sing steps forward, a look of concern settling into solid determination. Sayer, are you still in pain? Are you okay to talk? No, 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 the pain's, pain's gone, and his eyes catch on Lumira's form. Uh, applying the solve upon him 
and it looks like he's about to say something, but a lump catches in his throat. He just swallows it deep. Is it the pain of the salve on his wounds? Is it something else? Shakes his head and looks over at Sig. It's, it's both, Sig. The end is the beginning. The beginning is the end. This is this has happened before. Before. Happening again. What you saw in the temple, then that must have been a vision of the past, maybe also of the future. Those buildings on the serpent's back. They don't look like anything from this world. Maybe they've already happened. Maybe they haven't happened yet. Maybe it's the same thing. I don't know. I... And she rests a hand on your shoulder and kind of squeezes you, looking for comfort for herself and to steady you as well. Those pink eyes rest on your blue gaze. (sighs) Whatever this is, these calamities as well that are happening... This oil covering the strip-mined place. It has to be related to the serpent. Maybe the serpent caused it? I don't know. What is the serpent? Zainan, you used the term Leviathan. Abasi used it as well. Something shook underneath the ship on our way here. It felt massive, huge, dangerous. I thought I could hear a heartbeat. Maybe that was just my ears playing tricks on me. No, you heard it. That was the ship. Wait, what? Uh, I heard it too. The ship itself. The engine. When I was down there earlier, checking things out, I did not go inside, but when I was recalibrating the engine, I heard it. It sounded eerily similar to the way a heart would pump. But... Ships, this is a ship. It could be, you know, chugging pistons or just about anything. You sure? I trust you, Lumira. If you say it's a heart, it's a heart. But a lot of machinery sounds similar. I think I would be more than qualified to determine what sounded like a heartbeat. No offense, Zainan. Stranger things have happened, I guess. Agreed. It wasn't just an organic heartbeat. There was... Electricity, I suppose. That's the only way to put it. There was electricity with it as well. I thought, well, then I suppose it's confirmed. There was a heartbeat and that thing that passed under the ship, the Leviathan, as Abasi called it. But I don't know, Nova. It didn't quite feel big enough to be the dragon from our visions. What do you think it is? I think it's something completely separate. I also think it probably has some type of ties to... Whatever it is that is in that engine, that Queen Hylian wanted us not to look at whatsoever. Yes, she was a little shifty when she said that, but honestly, I didn't ping anything suspicious from that. It kind of just felt like she, I don't know, she had such a intimate look at Storm Chaser. Did anyone else catch that? She touched its copper siding like it was hers once. Like, like an old mount. Yeah, I mean... Wouldn't you feel the same way if you lost a weapon that you consistently used and found again after a while? Weapon? I don't know about that, Lumira. Clearly you've never tended to a beast of burden. That's... that was familiar enough for me. My bigger question is this scion of heart, scion of body, 
Scion of Soul. I'm wondering. And he looks up at a bossy. I'm wondering what they know about it. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if a bossy actually has all the keys to these locks, but just has it remembered to mention them. She seems a little spacey in that way. I do like that about her, though. She's busy with the shutter lamps, but we could call her over or go to her if we if we really needed to ask questions, I think. I think that would be a good idea, personally. Zainan? Yeah? Do you have any questions in mind you would like to ask her? I just want to understand better what uh, the queen and Abasi and this missing princess and the prin really have in connection to this world. I don't know if asking it just like that will be very helpful. She did mention, now that you said it, Scion of Body, Scion of... The guides. Something about the... Those, um... What were those things in... Right, where's that book? That book. Zainan goes to start searching the the table that's definitely not been put back together. <laughs> uh, for the book that had the, the story of the guides in it. Yes, okay. You pull that book out and you see, like, you flip to the same page and you see, like, a, a kind of, like, illustrated picture of three vaguely humanoid figures and it's all very abstract you know it's all from profile and all of the images are rather vectorized uh you see three humanoid figures uh they seem to be moving up a mountain of sorts and there are these leaves twining up underneath them like hungry reaching grasping leaves and vines and thorns uh but following these three figures are a bunch of other like humanoid figures, like probably enough people to represent like multiple civilizations uh, going up the mountain, right? Uh, and kind of at the peak of the mountain, as you flip the page, the three figures seem to disperse to different areas of the world with different groups of people following them. You turn to that page, right? And it's written in Hyven, right? The particular verse that Abbasi had scribbled in the margins about. And I'll read it out loud to you all again now. The third guide rose. Rejoice, rejoice. Soul ventured north to the heart of the wild. The sea was never apart from us. It was always within. We are the thrash, the tangle, the darkness under eaves. You continue reading. Fear not the sea, but not loving the sea. And people followed soul, and soul led them to safety. This has to be about when the verdancy was first blooming, right? Look at these leaves going up, these guides leading these people. This has to be about the verdancy. I remember the way the verdancy erupted from the earth. It shattered buildings, roads. This must be after. And the three must be the kingdoms. It has to be. The Reaches, Siren Song, the Raya, Chongsin Surge. Maybe whatever they found led them to how their civilizations were born, I suppose. Seems like a story of creation. After apocalypse. Re-creation. This is a solid start. Maybe the answers do lie with the Scions. I think so as well. <laughs> it really is fateful that we've run into one already, guiding our path this entire time. I doubt a bossy... If she even does have the keys, I don't know if we'd be able to dredge them out of her quite yet in a way that will make everything make sense. I feel like she would have told us if she knew anything that could have been helpful. Maybe she doesn't know it yet. Perhaps. 
She did mention that she'd been having that nightmare for weeks, months though, and, and never mentioned, she, again, she's that kind of person. Which again, I don't mind about her. And it only took a calamity to ring her bell. So let's ring those bells. Let's go look. Those animals, they, they ran away from something. Yes, they were fleeing. Maybe from the Leviathan? Speaking of fleeing, should we also worry about the warships that are inbound still? Yes, 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 we should, we should. Lumira, you're right, this is a good start, but maybe we should start putting together an actual solid plan for what to do when the warships get here. Sayer, you're right, those animals were fleeing from something. I thought maybe they were fleeing from the Leviathan, but that doesn't make any sense. The Leviathan's path cut from east to west. It wasn't moving south to north. It came from someplace else. They were fleeing this, whatever made this, and she gestures at the strip mine area. And now those ships are coming and maybe there's something here that can help us figure out a path forward that doesn't involve the Raya blazing guns at Siren Song. Is this a war? Well, obviously, according to the Oracle, this is the beginning of the war that Abasi was so concerned about. But this, and he points to the giant hole in the Verdancy, sounds like it might have been those uh, Ashen that we heard about as well. Right. The Ashen, the captain's report. You think the Ashen unleashed it? Or do you think the Ashen have some direct ties or information to whatever it is? According to Abasi, they do not love the Verdancy. And that is what the story advised. And I happen to believe it. The ship reacted to it, though. Like, whenever it was that was under the ship, it was almost as if it was in sync with the buzzing of the ship. I always feel it now that I'm relatively attuned to it. And it was one, almost, before it went off on its own direction. Huh. If Raya's quarrel is with their missing scion, the missing scion is here. There's no need for war anymore. There's no need to go after Siren Song, right? Sounds like they want a war anyways. We don't know what the demands are. Sayer, your guess is... Good. That would have been my guess as well, but there could be other demands. Maybe they want a formal apology from Siren Song for their scion no-call no-showing at the tournament. Maybe they want something else. We're going to have to figure that out. But regardless of what they want, we need some kind of leverage. We just we can't go into negotiations with nothing. We give them a bigger problem. Absolutely not. Wait, wait, wait. Sayer, go on. If all you see is violence, be directed somewhere. If they've already charted a path, then this. Clearly, the Reaches have no love for the Ashen and their activities. That's true. Abasi seemed rather dismissive of the Ashen as an actual threat, but there might be something here. If the Ashen were powerful enough to make this, if this was their doing, if they're related to this, clearly they're a bigger threat than anyone thinks. Or even if they aren't, it'll be a good way to buy us some time. That's what we need. But what if they're innocent? Well, I don't know too much about people strip mining and deep leaf drilling and spilling oil and polluting being much innocent of any kind. I understand that. But these are people we don't know. In a world we only know so much about. Exactly. Sinan does have a point. 
then maybe we don't say the ashen, but we point at this and we show them the trail. There's a trail, it's a clear one. They could follow it or they could go to Siren's Song. We try to nudge them to follow this trail instead. I agree with that. At the very least, it gives them something to report back, ask for further orders, anything. If this is what they want. It's definitely not what they want, but that's the point of... And Singh pulls herself together and puts on like a very convincing smile. Diplomacy. We make them want what they don't want. Worst case scenario, I guess, Sidon and I could try and find a way to halt them. Sayer, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of ships I, on that horizon. I don't mean fight them. I mean maybe mess with their engines or something. Like, slow them down. That is a lot of engines. I do not have that kind of power. Let's call that maybe a plan K? More like Z. <gasps> I'm for diplomacy. Okay, diplomacy first, plan A. And we'll use this trail of the maybe Ashen as a way to get them to turn their ships elsewhere. If that doesn't work, maybe we'll strong arm it a bit. We'll have to figure out exactly what they want and, and we'll, we'll come up with something on the fly. We'll call that plan B, coming up with something on the fly. And if that doesn't work, then plan K slash Z. There's some letters between here and there, but we'll figure it out. I'd like to try all of those before we try and single-handedly stop every ship in the fleet of the Raya. That's fair. That's fair. But, you know, strike Team Nova, right? This might be the most impossible odds we faced in a while, but I believe we can surmount them because you're Lumira and you're Zainan and you're my brother and I'm me and all of us together, we can do anything we set our minds to. There's a reason why fate Put us together. Put us on this mission now. If this were impossible, we wouldn't be here. You're right. And Lumira is tight-lipped. Looks a bit skeptical. <laughs> but, yeah. I trust in her will as well, Singh. That's right. Trust in her will. It's led us this far. So... We have a plan now. We're not done with everything yet, though. And Singh throws in a hand into the middle of the circle. Come on. Zayden puts his hand out pretty quickly. Sayer takes a moment, kind of just hearing the dismissiveness echo around his head. Sighs, puts his hand in, and goes, all right, chosen one, let's go. Nova on three? And the oracle comes into existence as a little seed pod and, like, rests on top of your hands as well. Uh, don't forget about me! Okay, on three! One, two, three! Nova! Nova! Nova. Lumera's hand was the furthest back away from the entire group as possible. As all of your hands go up and the oracle kind of goes flying up in the air, it swirls and things out of existence as you lower your arms now and look out over the rustling waves. The Raya's warships are approaching closer and closer and closer. And now that they're fully in view, you see that they are sleek, they are muscular, and they are deadly. Their hulls are carved from razor scale lustrous interlocking plates that have been sharpened for that extra punch through the verdancy. Underscales ripple and flex beneath the thrash, propelling their ships forward with a sly, sinuous movement. 
The armaments are simple, ruthless, and effective. Broadside cannons for ship-to-ship -ship combat, deck-mounted blast bows, and side-mounted ripsaws. The skyships resemble birds of prey, colorful sails that bloom to catch the wind, feathered hulls with talon-like anchors dangling over the banisters, ready to dive bomb at a moment's notice. Dozens of ships comprise the Raya's war fleet, ranging in size from two-person skiffs to multi-level, hundred-sailor barges. Faced with this literal army at your doorstep, it's not difficult to imagine why Abasi is known as the Scion of Strength. These warships, to their credit, or more accurately, to Abasi's credit, do stop a couple hundred feet in front of Storm Chaser. They don't advance. This devastated strip of verdancy forms a natural barrier between your party and the hundreds of Ryan Wild Sailors to your south. Abasi is now working the shutter lamps for a few more moments, and you can see one of the warships at the very front of the fleet responding with flashes of mirror and light from their prow. And those of you with a smattering in signaling can parse that the two sailors are figuring out a way to meet around the strip mined area. Those of you with fluency can parse that the Ryan ship doesn't believe it's Princess Sahar who's signaling them, even though Abasi is very angrily insisting upon it. And after flashing a couple of back and forths, Abasi jumps down from the prow and hurries over to the wheel. As she calls over her shoulder at your group, the Admiral's meeting us with a ship in the Vanguard fleet. They don't believe I am who I say I am, but we're about to prove it. Lumira, calibration. Zainan, look out, Sayer, jumpstart that engine and sing. I need your help navigating. And like that, your party disperses across the deck and gets to work. Within minutes, Storm Chaser is coaxed out of idle and is hovering over the waves toward a neutral meeting spot some several dozen feet east of the strip mine hole. And sure enough, one of the warships also peels away from the rest, sinewing across the waves toward that same area. It's one of the largest ships in the fleet and the most lavishly decorated with gold trimmings and a beautifully carved prow that resembles some great thick-hulled beast with sharp tusks. As the warship approaches, Abasi turns Storm Chaser, so her starboard side is facing the approaching vessel, and the warship also turns, showing Storm Chaser its port side. And when both vessels finally come to a halt, they are parallel to each other. In the shadow of this Ryan warship, Storm Chaser feels small and flimsy, but also nimble. If push came to shove, you get the sense you could probably accelerate faster and maybe even outmaneuver some of these larger ships. But if they caught up to you, good luck. A latch opens on the port side banister of the Ryan ship. The railing swings open like a fence post, and a group of Ryan wild sailors lowers a tall, sturdy ladder down to Storm Chaser's starboard deck. These sailors all wear similar uniforms, similar to Abasi's own clothing. You see leather half-plate, trousers, sashes, scale armor resembling the elegant hide of dragons, plumes of colorful feathers springing from pauldrons, belts, gauntlets, even greaves. They carry all kinds of weapons. You see hacksaws, bows, axes, 
axes, javelins, spears, blades. Some of them wear back-mounted gliders with thin but sturdy tarps stretching from wrist to spine, giving the impression of wings. Abasi takes a deep breath. <sighs> Let's do this. And then she starts climbing the ladder. And the rest of you follow, one by one by one, taking in your surroundings with careful eyes and open ears. As the last of you plants your feet on the warship's broadwood, you see a vast, bustling deck with an elevated aft for steering and navigation. There are two masts. One of them sports a tied-up sail, while the other serves as an observation deck, similar to storm chasers. An elevated platform in the middle of the deck bears a blast bow. It is a huge crossbow-like emplacement that is currently, thankfully, unmanned. A half-circle of Ryan sailors stands around you hands on the hilts of their weapons, clearly guarded but not hostile yet. And stepping forward from them is what you can only assume is their leader. A tall, imposing person with medium brown skin, wearing a gold gorget and very little else on their torso. The exposed skin of their chest and abdomen ripples with hardened muscle. A linen sash hangs from their waist with an intricately woven belt that seems to speak to their station in the navy. Whatever it is, it must be high because that belt is decorated. They sport a pair of leather sandals and they carry a quiver bristling with spears across their back. Their hair is long, dark, straight, shaved on one side and bundled in a loose, sprawling ponytail across the other shoulder. Their eyes are pure black with slitted white pupils, and there are six of them. A pair where most people have them, a pair above on their forehead, and a pair below, blinking on their cheeks. They also have four arms, two of which are crossed in front of their chest, while the other two are propped on their hips. This person's jaw is handsomely carved, their lips soft but severe, and when they speak, they reveal a mouth full of razor-sharp teeth. Thin seams run along the hollows of their cheekbones, and you get the feeling that they could unhinge their jaw if they wanted to. They step forward, addressing Abasi, all six of their eyes wide with shock. Do my eyes deceive me? Is this truly Princess Zahar? Admiral Sahim Kubra, it's me. They stare at each other. A young, brash woman and an older, seasoned sailor. And then Abasi runs forward, and the Admiral hugs her with all four arms. <sighs> Skies above, Abasi. Your parents are worried. What became of you? Abasi pulls back, her brow knitting together with a mixture of relief and anger. That hardly matters. I'm fine now. I've been fine. What in the guide's names are you doing out here with the whole fleet? Please tell me my parents have not done what I think they have. At that, Sahim makes a strained face. One of their eyes rests on the four of you for a moment before all six return to Abasi. Princess, we sail to make war with Siren Song. 
Abasi surges toward them, holding onto a set of the Admiral's wrists. Her face is ablaze in the afternoon sun, and all of you recognize desperation, naked and terrible. But I'm here! I'm safe! I am returning to the Raya unharmed and of my own free will, and you can all turn around and come with me. I can explain everything to my parents. There is no need for this. The ship grows quiet. Ryan soldiers glance at each other, at your party, but no one speaks. Finally, Sahim uses their other set of hands to gently release Abasi's grip on their wrists, where their skin has gone slightly red from how hard Abasi was holding on to them. The orders from King Masu are clear. The Raya is to sail our fleet to the shores of Siren Song and threaten a siege until Mylesia submits. If she does not, we are to lay waste to the reach of Sol. I am glad you are safe, Princess. Truly, I am. But this is not a rescue mission. We are here for war. Abasi is struck speechless for a moment. The three of you get the sense that now is the time for you to speak up. Lumira's <coughs> <coughs> like not so subtly uh, clearing uh, her throat in the direction of the Admiral for uh, an introduction. <coughs> the Admiral's forehead eyes flick to you, but the rest of their four eyes stay on Abasi. Abasi shakes her head and kind of steps back, takes a neutral stance between the two of you. Admiral, this is Lumira. That is Sayer, this is Zainan, and that's Singh. The four of them have been nothing short of wonderful friends, and they've been responsible for my safe travels and return up until this point, but surely there must be a way to divert the warships. You can't... I'm here. What, what do you mean? They... I don't understand. The Admiral crosses all four of their arms now, and a look of... Not quite pity, but deep concern. A concern that an aunt might have for their niece comes across their face. It is as I said, princess. This was not a rescue mission. We're here for war. And if I may, Admiral, what is the goal of the surrender of the queen? A show of strength. It will save the Wild Sea. And when you speak, Zainan, all six of their eyes actually flick away from Abasi to look at you. And the ones in the middle are fixed on your gaze, but the ones on top and the ones below are kind of scanning you up and down, appraising you, taking you in. Zainan sees this, having not really looked away in the first place, and just very so slightly tips his hat again. The tension is one that has not been unnoticed. But aren't you all the uh, reach of strength and body in the first place? We are. To what end does the soul bend its knee? I am an admiral. I have been for almost half a decade. I have served the reach of body for many years, and I have my orders from my king. They have been clear. Bring the warships to Siren Song's doorstep. 
threaten a siege unless my Lija submits. If she does not, take the reach by force. Permission to speak freely. Permission granted. Thank you. What exactly do you and the rest of the Scions plan on ruling over if there is no more Wild Sea to exist? Because what teems beneath the surface of what we sit upon right now can cause more destruction than whatever you think Queen Malaysia and her armies would do. You say your aim is to save the Wild Sea, as is mine. I believe you are focused on the wrong thing. Your assumption strikes true, Lumira. Our goal as the stewards of body have always been to safeguard the verdancy with our strength, our power. King Masu Zahar has always been a diligent, kind, wise ruler. He... And the Admiral kind of cuts themselves off for a second. Uh, two of their eyes blink asynchronously of each other. They shake their head briefly and move on. He has given his orders. I want to know what that's about. Because Sayer sure. is just hanging back and listening. Because okay. if he starts talking, he's going to be drastic. Uh, so he's stepping back. And I think catching that description of a wise, steady king... A wise, steady king doesn't immediately send a fleet of warships. Yeah. So he's he's just trying to read into that pause of what that means. Sure. As you study the admiral's face, because you're stepping back and just spending time to look at them, I won't even have you roll for it. I'll give it to you. Okay. They are troubled. You know that they are a very good sailor. Just by the way that the other sailors regard them, there's an air of nothing but respect from the rest of the sailors on this ship toward their admiral. You get the sense that they got their station through genuine merit and respect of their peers. You also know that they have some kind of feeling about their orders, but they have to carry them out. I think that's what you get from this. Like you, you get the feeling that they feel like they are honor bound, duty bound, and responsibility bound to listen to King Masu Zahar carry out these orders, even though they personally might feel differently about them. There's something else as well, a flicker of concern across the Admiral's face when King Masu Zahar is brought up. Like a personal kind of concern, not just political. Sayer will nudge Singh and, and just mutter under his breath, something's wrong. They're concerned about the king. Mm, Sing mutters back. Yeah, I caught that too. Excuse me, Admiral. Hello, Sing here. You mentioned that this was King Masu Zahar's demand, his order. Surely there are other ways to, like you said, prove your strength? What about the tournament? The tournament, according to the king, and is plainly seen by all those who keep an ear to the rustling waves, has been a failure. The Scion of Soul has not shown, does not show, will not show. The time for other displays of strength, the king says, has passed. 
But what what if there was a interceding event? The scion of soul may have had something come up. Go on. And Zynan catches himself after trying to keep everyone pretty on their manners for this entire mission, realizes how far he's come to revealing things that mm, might not be his business, but he looks over the Admiral and nods. (laughs) The scion of soul, he shoots a look over to Abasi, has disappeared and not out of cowardice is my understanding. The other wild sailors, the ride wild sailors, whisper at this? Murmurs begin to pass through the crowd. Abasi whips her head around and stares at you with wide eyes. Sing also turns and looks at you like you were the last person she was expecting to be the one to reveal this when Mylesia had given clear and explicit orders to be discreet about this specific fact toward her political enemies slash rivals. And... The Admiral's eyes widen briefly with genuine surprise before all six of them once again fix onto you, Zynan. And Zynan, you also track that you're the only one of Strike Team Nova that the Admiral turns their full attention to every time you speak. They raise three of their four arms up to their head, rubbing the side of their temple. And they let out a sigh. Tension hangs thick in the air, and they answer you. Are you a proud transplanerd? Do you want everyone to know you're an Endake University alum? Do you want to wear our logo but super goth and full of Void? Then check out our brand new merch collab with Void Merch and nab one of three exclusive designs. Check out the link in the episode description and go trans your gender with our fresh new threads. This episode was edited by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our original intro theme music is by Jonathan Charles. Transplaner RPG is supported by our incredible Patreon precepts. Folks pledge to our highest tier on Patreon. A massive thank you to Charles, Cora Eckert, Brooke Bright, River, Chiakres, Lex Slater, Scrofasis, Hat, Alex, Mark J, Lyle and Peanut, Spencer, Brooke in Seattle, Aria, Derek Davidson, Phil, Jordan, Cassidy, and Rose. Pledge to our Patreon today for as little as $3 a month to unlock exclusive news, character sheets, GM notes, and even the chance for your tabletop OC to cameo in our show. Until next time, Transplay Nerds!